Open in your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to talk about the gifts of Jesus. You might think, the gifts of Jesus, shouldn't we be talking about like, you know, Palm Sunday, Easter, all this stuff? And uh, we could talk about that. In fact, I think we're going to talk a little bit about some things that happened around the cross today. And then, of course, next week, we're going to take time to really celebrate what Jesus accomplished as well. But, you know, when Jesus went to the cross, he was crucified for our sin, buried in the grave, three days, resurrected from the grave, spent 40 days with his apostles, his disciples, and in fact, the scripture says that over 500 people saw him at one time. So it wasn't just a few people who went around and telling the story, but when the guy is writing this, this, he says, many of those people are still alive today. So in the context, in the time, he's saying there's other people who saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and the church is going strong, stronger than ever. It's global. It's worldwide. The, the reality of the resurrection has changed the world. It's changed the world. It's not just a story that's encouraging and good and moral and so forth, but I'm talking about the Son of God came in the flesh, took the place of us on the cross, dying for our sins, raised from the dead, giving us eternal life, and and ascending to heaven. He changed everything. Everything. And so as much as people would want to push God away and say, you know, that's all fairy tales or fables, or you believe in the big God in the sky or whatever, and you you make believe, you know, your God, I'll make believe my God or or my no God, uh, you can say all that, but it doesn't change reality. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus was here, he did what the scripture says he did, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, it changed everything. And this is what caused so many people to be willing to lay their lives down because of the, uh, the account of that, the, the firsthand account of that initially, but then the transformation, because Christians have laid their lives down ever since then, not for some belief system, but for a God who is alive and has changed their lives. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We're going to talk about that God, that Jesus right there. In Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us something that Jesus did after the cross, before he ascended to heaven, before he ascended. In Ephesians 4, let's actually look at it in verse 8. And I want to read a couple verses, and then we'll all read verse 11 together. Okay, so let me read verse 8 through 10 out out loud, then we'll all jump in on verse 11 from the screen. It says this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So everybody has received grace from God according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Parentheses. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, let's read out loud. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. If you were to go into verse 12, he'd say, why? We'll get there maybe today, maybe in a minute. But Paul is writing, the apostle Paul is writing this to the church, and he's saying that Jesus fulfilled two things in this messianic prophecy. Messianic meaning it's, it's prophesying or it's, it's foretelling about something that the Messiah or the Christ would do. 
And so he says, number one is he led captivity captive. And then the second thing is he gave gifts to men. So I want to talk a little bit about the gifts of men. But before we get there, I think it's so appropriate and important to talk about this little verse where he says he led captivity captive. When you're reading that, it's almost like a tongue twister. He ascended, descended, 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 and you're up and down. It's like, you know, okay, he's like, what's happening here? And he's pointing out this, this little part of the story that the Bible doesn't uh, really explain a whole lot about, but yet it's so important. It says this, let me back up in verse 8. It says, therefore, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts to men. Now he ascended, what's it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth, lower than the earth, lower than the earth. When you look at it, it doesn't just mean to earth. Some people might say, well, yeah, he came from heaven to earth. That's not what it's saying. He actually descended to the lower parts of the earth. He descended, now, of course, he was buried in a tomb, but there's something that's happening in the physical that we see at the cross and at the grave. But there's also something, a spiritual dynamic that's taking place that the Bible talks about. And he descended to the lower parts of the earth, then he ascended. Now, if you track the story of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension, when we talk about ascending, we are typically thinking about after 40 days that he appeared to people after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven. The Bible says all the disciples, they were gathered around. He's talking to them. He ascends to heaven. They see it. They watch it. He ascends out of their sight. He, he, he's gone. But there's another ascension that takes place before that, after the grave. And this is the one that is not talked about much. So Jesus, he goes to the cross. On the cross, he takes our sin. He's the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. This is a picture of something that had been uh, painted all through the Old Testament of how the high priest would have to take a sacrifice, um, a lamb, bull, goat, so forth, and, and sacrifice that animal and present it to God on behalf of people so that their sin would be atoned for or covered. And so there is also something called the Day of Atonement. The, the Jewish people still recognize that today. And it was this holy day of the year where the high priest would go into the tabernacle all by himself. No one else could go in there. No one else could be in the tabernacle. He would go in and he would offer a sacrifice for himself and then for his family on behalf of the tabernacle, on behalf of all the priests, and on behalf of all the people. And he would go offer this sacrifice to God once a year. And it was a reminder that the life of the flesh, it's in the blood, the scripture says this, that blood must be shed, life must be taken because of sin. Sin uh, brings death. The wages of sin is death, the scripture says. And so life must be paid on behalf of that. God instituted the process, the sacrificial system, as a reminder of that. But his intention was never just to offer up bulls and goats and all that. That was never the point. The point is he's preparing his people that ultimately one day the Lamb of God would come, the Son of God who would come, and who had never sinned, and he would be offered up as a sacrifice for our sins. Amen? Okay, so this is the picture that's being painted. Jesus goes to the cross. On the cross, all of our sin, all of our sickness, all of our 
our, uh, our disease, all of our brokenness of humanity is laid upon Jesus at the cross. He dies. He's buried. Three days. What's he doing? He's not doing yoga. He's not doing push-ups. He's not looking at his watch thinking, how much longer am I being here? He's not twiddling his thumbs. Though physically, if you were to peek in there, you would just see the body of Jesus laid down. You know, we're not just physical. This is not just a physical world. We are spiritual people. We live in a spiritual world. We don't catch everything with our eyes. And so Jesus, there's something that he's doing during this time. And it's at this time that Jesus is leading captivity captive. Now, it's interesting because this verse comes from the Old Testament in Psalm 68, verse 18. And in that, it says when he uh, ascended on high, he led the captivity captive, and he received gifts among men. Here it says he gave gifts to men. All of this is language that Paul is using that people would be aware of, like the picture that, he, that, that he's giving them of taking captivity captive and giving gifts. So imagine this. Back in the day, the rulers, they'd go to battle, they'd go off to war. You know, you have your, your emperor, you know, that, that's back before they just sat in Washington and told people what to do. They would actually go out, the leaders would go, and they would risk their lives as well. But they would go out and they would go to battle. And if they win, they would, uh, of course, take many of their enemies captive as well as they would take all the spoil of war. Well, they would bring them back, and there would be a procession where they march them all the way through town, and it's a celebration that's taking place of, we won! And not only is it that we won, but now we see those who had tried to take us captive, we see them captive. And we see maybe those who were taken captive by our enemies set free, but they're all in that procession where, where they're coming through town and everybody can see this. And so not only has the army taken the spoils of war, but what they would do is they would give of those spoils to the people. And so they take captivity captive and they give gifts. They give the spoil to the people. They give things that belonged to the enemy to the people. They give things that maybe belonged to the people originally that the enemy had taken, and they give those to the people. They take those captives that belong to them, and they set them free as well. They bring them through. So when Paul is saying that Jesus, after he went to the cross, he descended, he's saying, though this, you don't see this with your eyes, there's something that happened in the spiritual realm that Jesus descended he descended to the lower parts of the earth. The, the idea here is uh, not that hell itself is, is, is right there in the center of the earth. Now, some would say in the earth, this is really where, where Hades was. Hades is a translation, a Greek transliteration, which means this. They didn't come up with a better word. And so it sounds like that in Greek. It sounds like that in English. And so we just use that same word. But the idea is before Jesus went to the cross, the righteous who would die... They go to Hades. They don't go to the presence of the Lord because their sins, uh, there's the, the price for their salvation had not yet been paid, actually been paid. So, so there's this concept of them being in Hades. Jesus tells a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You would, you would remember it from there. Well, the righteous are there in Hades. Jesus, 
there's scripture that talks about uh, prophetic scripture about his soul not being left in Hades. But it's as though he goes to that place to set those people free who were taken captive. Yet, not only does he set them free during this time, but he takes captivity captive. So everything that had bound us before, sin, death, um, sickness, disease, everything that has cuts us off from God, everything that the enemy would try to do to hold us back. Jesus says, no, because of what I just accomplished on the cross and what I'm still in the process of doing, instead of that taking people captive, he takes that captive. And that's why when you come to Jesus, you can get freedom, you can get forgiveness, you can get healing, you get salvation, you get eternal life, because all of the things that are opposite of that, he took that on himself. He took that himself, and he defeated the enemy. That's good news right in and of itself. Amen? That's good preaching right there. And uh, not because I'm preaching it, but because it's just what the Word says. He took captivity captive. If you look with me in Colossians, I didn't give you guys this verse, so if you're really quick, uh, maybe you can put it on the screen. Or Colossians chapter 2 says this, and, and I, you know, I don't know where to start, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in part of verse 11. It, it says this. It says, well, I'll start all in 11, but we want to get to 15. It says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, remember, he's talking about Easter right here. He's talking about this whole Easter story right here. He's, He's painting the picture of it, but he's not talking about what happened with your physical eyes. He's talking about what happened in the spirit right here. He's telling you what that all meant. And then he goes and says this, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So not only did Jesus set those people free who were there at that point, but when he was made alive, resurrected, Somehow, some way, I get counted up in that mix. He says, you, he made alive together with him, right? Okay, we're, we're not even into the, the best stuff yet, and that's really good. But, but that's really good in and of itself. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Say all trespasses. Every, every, time, every time you've sinned, every law of God, rule of God that you've broken, how many of those has he forgiven you of? All of them. Uh, in the past? Yeah. What about this morning on the way to, on the way to church? What about uh, this afternoon on the way home? <laughs> what about 10 years from now? Yeah, all of them. Some of you say, yeah, but that was, that was like after I came to know Jesus and, and all this stuff. You know what? Everything you, you, every sin you ever committed was after Jesus died on the cross. Right. It really was. And so, in, and as a born-again believer, you have received forgiveness for all of them. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't confess if you do sin, God, I'm sorry for that. I don't want any part of that in my life. I receive forgiveness right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And he's done. But it, it's, it's dealt with at the cross. Okay, so that's really good. Verse 14, look at this. Having wiped out all the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jesus nailed all the whole law of God, all the rules, all the regulations that we violate, he nailed them to the cross on his own body, right? Now, look at this. Having, this is just this little verse, 
but it's the imagery that he's giving that relates to what we're reading in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He just tells you that what happened on the cross, that something was happening out here that you could see and hear, but something happened as well that you can't see with your eyes, but it changed everything. So physically, he's dying up there, but in the spirit, in the spirit, yeah, he's taking taking our sin. He's being cut off from the presence of God. Yeah, he's descending. He's suffering for our sin, but after that is complete, after he takes the punishment and he himself goes into that captivity, so to speak, to experience what we experience, as he comes up and he's being made free from that, he's, he's pay, having paid the price, he's leading us to freedom as well. He's leading all those who died before the cross to freedom as well. And he's restoring, he's giving out the gifts that were taken from us that was intended by God. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. What did he give? Well, he gave these five gifts that he mentions, but everything, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, with whom there's no shadow or variation of turning. Every good gift comes from him. He restored these things to us. All the gifts of God that he has for you were made available at that point. That's really good news in and of itself. He, he gives these gifts to us right from that, that point. And, and not only that, there's more to this story. There's more to this story. Uh, can I tell you a little bit more? Just a little bit more. Because this, this is so interesting. And the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about it, but yet it's in there. So when Jesus... Okay, so, so he gives the gifts to people. So that, that in and of itself is really good. It's really good. Everything that's been made available to you by God happened at this point, and it truly is available to you, everything. But do you remember this story? Jesus, it's early in the morning. I mean, it's like before the worship team gets to church on Sunday morning, before the the setup crew gets there. It's like when most of us are hitting snooze, that early in the morning. Mary Magdalene, she goes to the the graveside, and, and she looks, and she finds out the tomb is empty. She's looking around and she's bummed about it. And someone says, Lady, what are you doing? She said, I'm looking for my Lord. But they took him away. And, and she kind of glances back and she thinks, The gardener's here. You know, who else is here early in the morning? It's the gardener. And then he says, Mary. And she looks, you know, he said, like, Mary. And that voice, like, it's Jesus, the loving, comforting, empathetic voice. And she turns around. And she recognizes him. And she falls on her feet, like to grab his feet to worship. And he says, don't touch me or don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to my father. Now, a couple things about this. Why did she think he's the gardener? Why did she think he's the gardener? Like, because he's there early? Or is it because he looked dirty? I think it's possible that he looked dirty. You know why? Because... He had the sin of the world laid on him. And the suffering was complete, but the presentation before the Father had not yet happened. He said, I have not yet ascended to my Father. So when you go back to 
the atonement, the priest has to go in alone. No one else can go in. In fact, it was so significant that they would tie a rope to his feet because if he was to die in there, nobody could go in and get him. They had to, sorry, Chuck, you know, you're out of here. <laughs> Next, <laughs> like the fear of God comes on anybody. Like, you better get your stuff right before you go in there. Okay? And so, so you can read Leviticus chapter 16 and 17. It talks about the Day of Atonement uh, for further reading. So you, get, you can get in there. But he said, I've not yet ascended to my father. So she's the first one to see him. And then Jesus is gone for a while. Like after that, he says, go tell everybody. But then what's he go do? Where's Jesus at? You know, the Bible's not giving us minute by minute details. But then later on, he shows up with all the rest of the, the disciples. And he said, he, he, he's like in the room. And they're like, well, we don't really believe. We don't believe these women and all that. And you think so. And maybe it happened. And uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, he says, he, he comes in there and he says, see, see my hands? See my feet? It's me. It's myself, right? He's saying, it's me. Why is he pointing to his hands and feet? Because of the scars. Because the scars are there. And so he's telling him, no, I, I, I'm not like a lookalike. I'm the one who was up on that cross and died. It's really me. Touch me and see. Now, wait a minute. He told Mary, don't touch me. And he's telling these people, do touch me. And I've heard all kinds of theories about this. Some people say stuff like, well, you know, like Mary, she had a reputation. <laughs> like, you know, you don't want to, you know, Mary, it's kind of weird, awkward. Mary Magdalene cast all these demons out of her. And, and that's baloney, okay? We all have reputations. We all have, all these guys were, were in the same boat. So that's ridiculous. Some would say, well, it's because she's a woman and it would have been appropriate, inappropriate to touch. Like, as if like she's got like dirty woman on her, like, oh, that woman. You know, it's not, it's not like that. That's ridiculous, too. That's ridiculous, too. Um, the only thing that I can really imagine why he would tell the disciples later, who, and it's probably not just all the uh, only men in that room, by the way, uh, is because here he is, the spotless Lamb of God that he had not sinned, but all the sin that was upon him, he has to present this completed offering to the Father. And so he goes and he ascends to, to the Father during this time to present this offering before him. And so then he shows up later on as the, uh, with, with the disciples and allows them to, to touch him at that point. This, there's some, oh, some scriptures that, that are probably helpful. Just write these down for those of you who want to read them. Hebrews chapter... 10, 1, and 4 talks about the blood of, of animals they can never forgive. They're just a shadow of the good things to come. Jesus, in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 11 and 12, says, Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He didn't do that at the final ascension. He did that prior to this, right after the cross and resurrection. It's when he entered the eternal um, tabernacle. That, you know, the scripture said that the tabernacle on earth, where the Jewish people worshipped, that was built according to a pattern of the real deal up in heaven. And so sacrifices that take place on earth are representative of what would take place in heaven. Because ultimately, that final sacrifice, Jesus, that would happen on earth would be presented in the tabernacle in heaven. And this is what allows us, when we die, we don't go to a place called Hades. We don't go to a place of soul sleep or just 
rest until some other point. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so this is what Jesus accomplished right here. And when he, he resurrected from the, the tomb, he led captivity captive. And he made everything, every gift of God available to us at that point. Everything that was taken from us, he redistributed, including the gifts and graces that were on himself. This is where I want to go. I'm not going to have time to go. Your Pastor Geneva probably two weeks is going to have to talk about this, but I just want to give you pre- a preview, okay? Is that it? Because I got to go. Um, so he, he gave all the gifts, salvation and so forth to us. But, you know, he also said this to his disciples. He said, if I don't die, it's not going to be good for you. It's better that I die so, and go away because then the Holy Spirit will come. And, and the gift and grace that's on me is going to be on you. And so that's one of the gifts that was given. He said it's the promise of the Father. But that was an extension of his ministry to us, the Holy Spirit was. And so we are pretty familiar with some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about them in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, about um, tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, miracles, faith, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of prophecy, discernment of spirits. Those are the nine it mentions right there. Those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. People are more familiar with that as far as teaching. But you know, there's other, and so Jesus gave that to us because he, he operated for the most part in those, probably not the tongues and interpretations, but he, he operated in these other things. And, and um, he extended that to those people. But he also operated as an apostle, as a prophet, as an evangelist, as a pastor, and as a teacher. All those graces were on him. A lot of scripture that I'm not going to read to you. You read your own Bible. Find those things yourself. But he operated in those things. And he said, when I'm gone, though, those gifts still need to be in operation. They're going to be in operation through my people. How do you remember the five-fold gift? Everyone hold up a hand if you've got five fingers on it. If not, hold up the other one. And then uh, you got five, okay? The thumb represents the apostle. The apostle can touch every aspect of ministry. He's all over the place, right? The, uh, the pointer finger, pointer finger, thus saith the Lord. Prophet, right? The prophet. That's how you remember. Watch it. Be careful on this one. The middle finger is the longest. It extends the furthest. The evangelist, outreach, reaching out. The, the ring finger, the pastor, married to the church. And then the, te- the pinky, the, the little, little finger here, it's the teacher can get into all the nooks and crannies that the others can't. That's what the teacher does. He gets into it. And so that's how you remember those gifts, right? That's how you remember those gifts. These gifts are given to us by the Lord to extend his ministry. If you were to read in Ephesians chapter 5, keep reading in the book of Ephesians, you'll see Paul starts to talk about marriage, but he's really talking about Christ and the church. And he says this one verse. Uh, He says a couple of verses, but he says, um, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, by the way, when Jesus gave gifts, he gave like those fivefold. But what Jesus didn't give as an extension of himself, he didn't give anyone the job of being Savior. He didn't give anyone the job of being Lord. He didn't give anyone the job of being priest. None of those things, because he's the high priest. 
And so he's the mediator between God and man. But these other offices don't stand in between God and man. They help to uh, represent and serve and minister to, to man on behalf of God and so forth. Uh, verse 26, though, says why. It says, he gave, he, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Verse 29, um, skip down. So no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Three questions. How does Jesus wash his church? How does he wash us with the washing of the water of the word? You know how he does it? Of course, he does it when you get in your word daily, but he also does it through the fivefold ministry. As they bring the word, they wa- it washes us with the word. This is how Jesus is doing it through his, the extension of his gifts and grace. How does Jesus remove all of our spots and wrinkles? How does he do that? Botox? How does he do that? The sins, the impurities? Now, we know he paid for it all on the cross, just like he gave his word, but he, he ministers those things through people that he's graced, men and women, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He uses people to minister healing, forgiveness, restoration, recovery, counsel. That's what he's doing. That's how he's removing those spots. Correction, instruction, right? Getting some things straight in our lives. Sometimes we need somebody in our life to help us with that. How does he nourish and care for us while he, we are here and he's in heaven? Do I just go directly to Jesus only? You do go directly to Jesus. Always go directly to Jesus. But he's also placed people in your life to help to feed and nourish and to care for and instruct and build the church up. That's what he does with us. That's, the, that's some of the role or the, the purpose of the fivefold ministry. Going back, and this is my last, last scripture, verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, he gave those five gifts for the, let's read this out loud, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's an interesting word there, equipping of the saints. It's the same word, and it's only really used twice. It's the same word that's used when Peter and John in the early days of Jesus' ministry they're on the shore, and they're mending their nets. Same word, mending or equipping their nets. There's tears in the net. There's weak spots in the net. There's places in the net that have been worn out, and they're not fit to catch fish. And they're mending or they're equipping their nets. And Jesus here, he gave these gifts so that people in their lives can be mended together, equipped, put back together so that we can be built up and we can accomplish the ministry that he has called each and every one of us to. Not just the church as a whole, but each and every one of us. The work of your ministry, you are a part of that whole net.